Welcome to Our Fighting Spirit, the podcast that celebrates and shares the stories of those who believe in persevering over giving up, standing again after falling, and continuing to live and build a life of their dreams no matter the circumstances. Here's your host, Anthony Gigante. Today we have a very, very special guest who, in my opinion, defines the fighting spirit, Dr. Tiffany Moore. Dr. Moore, welcome. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I know we've had a couple of weeks of false starts and false alarms, but we're here today and I'm very excited to have you and really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm looking forward to being here with you. Uh, thank you very much. You know, uh, we spoke briefly before the podcast and one of the rules we have here on our, well, two rules. One rule is to have a great conversation and have fun. And the second rule is we, we, we love our guests to speak. So I'd like to get right into your fascinating story. And the only way to start is from the beginning. And um, if you would begin for us, we can, we can get it on. It would be wonderful. Okay. Well, um, I am originally from Compton and I grew up with humble beginnings. I was raised by my aunt because my parents struggled with drug addiction. And she had me starting from the age of about two. And although she had two children of her own, she raised me as her own child. And she had a strong work ethic and she believed in giving back and community service. But I have a very, very big family. Family, My grandmother, on my mother's side, she had 12 children. She believed in being fruitful and multiplying. And so my mother was still always involved in my life. And I got to witness her struggle with drug addiction. And she was always in and out of rehab. And so I watched her with her struggles. So she showed me what it was like to never give up. Even though she had her issues with drug abuse, she never stopped trying to overcome her addiction. And it took her a couple of decades, but she did finally recover from her addiction and kick the habit and make her life clean and dedicate her life to Christ and overcome. Yeah, we, uh, we touched base on that. And at two years old though, did you understand what was going on at that time? Like, how did you ever? Did you understand why you were with your grandmother at that early age? And did it feel normal to you? And how how did that make you feel at that point in your life? Oh no, I was completely clueless. I remember the first time my mother was arrested when I was with her. I recall her being pulled over. I would, this was like in the early 70s before seatbelts were mandatory. And I remember being in the passenger side um, of the front seat and the cops were pulling us over. And I remember, you know, being turned around, hanging over the seat, thinking, oh, pretty lights as the lights were flashing around. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I was completely clueless as a child. And that was the first time that they took me away and gave me to, um, to my aunt and I was thinking, okay, this is definitely an issue, but I had no real understanding about the drugs. And I always thought, well, if I worked hard enough, maybe my mother 
would love me more than she loves drugs. So that kind of fueled me to focus on my studies mm -hmm. as well as turning something negative into a positive because I was like, well, if I was a better child, if I could work hard enough, if I could study more, if I could be better, then my life would be better. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me focus on me essentially trying to be a better kid. So I never really blamed other people. I always thought something must be wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, okay, it was her fault. No, it was my fault. And part of that was her telling me it was my fault because she could be verbally abusive when she was under the influence. And as a child, I just internalized all of those things. As an adult who went through medical training and everything, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I can look back and say, okay, that was the drugs, that was the alcohol. But as a kid, I just kind of internalized all of those things. But I used that to fuel me. And it was interesting because back then in the 80s, you had the war against drugs and you had the push, you know, Nancy Reagan, this is your brain on drugs. And you had just say no. And you had the frying egg commercial saying this is your brain on drugs. Don't do drugs. And you had the commercial saying education is the key to the future. And I was like, well, I want those keys. I want <laughs> I want my future and I want I want prosperity and I want something better in my life. And so I wanted something better because my life was really hard growing up. And all I could think about was anything is going to be better than what I was going through. And my aunt, bless her heart, she did the best that she could. And her brothers and sisters, they would help. And I had an uncle who was also instrumental because he focused on education at that time. He was a professor at Compton College, and he was also focused on supporting and encouraging education as well. And he would encourage me to participate in different summer programs because he saw that I loved education as well. So he would encourage me to do little math programs and science programs. And I was like, okay, yes, sure. He was like, you wanna do this, Tiffany? I was like, oh yes, yeah, sign me up because I just wanted to be out of the house. and. Mm -hmm. That also fostered my love for math and science. And my aunt would have occasional boyfriends who resented me being in the house. They too were abusive, some more than others. And so I looked for any opportunity to be away. I would go to different friends' homes. And if I needed to go to an educational program, a summer program, whether it was um, at church or at school, I looked for any reason to not be home. And it turned out to be a blessing because it fostered my love for education. You know, as you're telling me that story, the only thing I can think about is that you were touched by God in an early age because a lot of times in a situation like that, uh, the child would go in the wrong direction looking for that short-term affection, looking for acceptance to be popular, especially when your self-esteem is slightly damaged because you're you're around these abusive people with the exception of your family, of course, who are wonderful people. I can just imagine how wonderful they are. And But the fact that you went into a positive direction is fascinating to me, you know, and 
the way you explain it, I don't think there was ever any doubt that that's the direction you were going into. Um, it's quite extraordinary at an early age to to have that 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 foresight, that 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 vision to move in that direction, especially when bad stuff is happening around you. So you're you're on a path of education. You love to learn. You love math. You love science. You how old are you at this point? Maybe nine years old. Maybe when you really are grabbing it. Um, yes. I graduated from elementary school as valedictorian. <laughs> and when I graduated from elementary school as valedictorian, I went to middle school with a briefcase <laughs> because I was about business. I was ready for business. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That is so amazing. That's, again, incredible stuff. All right, so we're on our way to middle school now. You've got elementary school out of the way. Uh, are you still, uh, are you back and forth to your mom and, and your grandmother's home or are you stationed, oh, you're yeah. at your grandmother's home or? or well, my aunt, my aunt. Your aunt I'm sorry, your aunt, I apologize, your aunt. Yes, yes, um, are you staying there for, for good or are you back and forth to mom? Um, I'm staying with my aunt for good, but I'm still visiting my, my mom. And I recall once my mother showed up and she was so wasted once and my aunt was at work and um, my cousin, she was, I was, I was still in elementary school. I think I was in the sixth grade. I just graduated. My cousin was in the eighth grade cause she's two years older than me. And my mother showed up with her boyfriend at the time. When she arrived to the house, they were tripping and they were falling, just walking from the car to the house. And I was bawling, I was crying so much. And she was like, you're coming with me no matter what. And I just knew I was about to die. And my poor cousin was like, I will drive you. So they drove from the from LA to the Valley. Now she was only in the eighth grade. She did not have a driver's license. Mm. She did not know how to drive, mm. but she drove us. <laughs> she drove me, my mother and my mother's boyfriend from LA to the Valley because I did not want to go with them. And it was going to be absolutely terrible had I refused to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I just have so many flashbacks and memories and stories such as that from my childhood. And I remember thinking, okay, when I went to middle school, I joined the Christian Fellowship Club. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal for me. And I was more involved and more active in um, my church. Mm -hmm. And I started volunteering with the church mission. And that's when I decided I wanted to become a physician. We would volunteer in the streets of Los Angeles feeding the homeless. And at that time, my mother had told me my father was homeless. Mm -hmm. And my father, I'd never met him they broke up when I was still an infant. And so I thought, well, maybe I might be helping him unaware. So my heart went out towards the homeless people. And I saw so many sickly people on the streets of Los Angeles. I wanted to help them all the time. But even in my young mind, I knew that that was impractical. And given my love for math and science, it seemed more practical to become a physician. And that's where the desire to become a physician came from. And so when I decided that becoming a doctor would be where I wanted to go, that was great. 
And then when I went into high school, I was actually at a home Bible study in Los Angeles. Well, actually it was in Compton in an area of Compton known as Fruit Town. And it was around the 4th of July because usually in Compton, there are often drive-by shootings. Mm -hmm. Usually you'll hear the gunshots and it's common knowledge that you need to get on the ground when you start throwing the coffin. But that it was around the 4th of July, we thought it might've been fireworks. So none of us decided to get on the ground. Well, as the shooting became closer, we realized that it was not the 4th of July. Unfortunately, I was struck by a bullet. And when I got up off the ground, my back was hurting. And my cousin, Keisha, she started pointing at me and she started crying. And so I reached around and felt my back and I looked at my hand and I saw the blood. And so I started crying. And she's like, Tiffany, you've been shot. And I was like, oh my God, I've been shot. And so it was very emotional, very traumatic, but it was actually a blessing because when the paramedics arrived, they said that I should have been paralyzed Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I probably should have even the wall through the house and it hit me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It hit me right adjacent to my spine and they said there's no way that I could be up and walking around. But by the grace of God, I was up and walking around. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a blessing that I was at Bible study because it was a miracle that I was able to do what I was able to do. So I was just thankful to God and able to praise God that I was actually healed and able to do everything that I was able to do. And so um, when all of that was resolved, I was just so thankful. And I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara and I initially was gonna major in English so I could pay my way through medical school. And my counselor laughed in my face (laughs) and he said, oh sweetie, you can't major in English because English teachers can't pay their way through medical school because that was my plan to become a teacher to pay my way through medical school. And he was like, teachers don't make enough money. So he said, if you want to become a doctor, you need to just major in biology. So I switched my major. It's almost like Dr. Moore, I want to go back though to, to for a moment when you, uh, when, when you were in the drive-by, right? And at any time, what you said to me really stuck out. Um, everything, everything that happened to you, you saw as a blessing, which is incredible because of where you were, because of, of the direction you, your mind was going. But did you ever feel at a young age that you wanted to give up, like especially after getting, getting, getting shot? Um, and, and then did everything ever accumulate in your mind at a young age at a point where you said, I, I, I don't want to, what am I doing? I, I can't continue this. My mom is... I've seen my mom tripping on acid or whatever she was on. I've, I've seen terrible things in such a young part of my life. And now I got shot and I'm at Bible study and I got shot. Did, did you ever think that I, I don't want to, I, I want to do something else. I, 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 I don't feel the energy to continue or. You know, because I actually had so much in my life going on. 
when I was introduced to God, it was actually in a park. Mm-hmm. And I was probably maybe in the third grade. Mm-hmm. My family didn't really go to church. <laughs> maybe once every few years, we <laughs> we were good people <laughs> per se. They just didn't really go to church. Yeah. My, and, family you know, my family did. My family did. You know, the, the the Easter and Christmas type Christians, mm-hmm. and so. But, you know, church outreach was at a park one day and I was playing on a playground and one of those outreach ministries um, spoke to me. And that's how I was introduced to Christ. And I was drawn to their mind ministry performing to one of the wine and songs tomorrow. You know, Jesus Mm -hmm. said, let me in. And you said, I will tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The lyrics to that song spoke to me. And that is how I was introduced to Christ. And there's a story that I haven't really shared (laughs) with anyone just because it's, it happened when I was little, I kind of drowned a little bit. And you say, what? You drowned a little bit. So yeah, I kind of drowned a little bit. And ever since that, it's like, okay, when you drown and you kind of quasi have a death experience and come back, mm-hmm. you have a connection. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that after having that experience, I feel a connection with with God that I've never had before. Um, that it's like, I know what I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my faith is unshakable. Mm-hmm. So my life is far from perfect. Yeah, it has absolutely been terrible. <laughs> I've, I've had some some absolutely horrible moments. You know, I was telling someone before, I have, you know, my even with my health, between all of my surgeries, even, you know, my body even teeters around with the idea of cancer. I actually have a condition called acrolentical maligna, which is the condition that killed Bob Marley. But I have the benign form of it. So, it's like, hmm, but it can switch at any time. And so it's like my body just kind of teeters on all these little different things trying to misbehave. And so, but I just know that God is with me no matter what. And when he wants me, he's going to come and get me. Mm-hmm. And I just have faith that after having my death or having my death experience, I believe I visited heaven and I was sent back. And I just know that no matter how awful this life is, everything is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, I agree with that. I, and, I, I agree. And that if we just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, it can only get better. Mm-hmm. And that no matter what comes our way, if we give God time, he will work it out. And while my mother was not the perfect mother, she was perfectly imperfect for me. 
She needed time to work out her issues and she needed time to grow. Mm -hmm. And we had to work through our issues. Mm -hmm. And when she developed cancer and I had to take care of her, mm. it took time for me to go back and work through those issues because mm -hmm. I had to address some issues that I thought I didn't even have. Because I was like, I have to go take care of a woman who never took care of me. Yeah, yeah. We, we spoke of that. Yes, I, 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 I yes, that's, I want to get to that too. But I want to go back to the, very quickly, the, the near drowning experience, which, as you're, and thank you for sharing that with us, if, if you've never shared it before. But to me, that's just a progression of your life. It's almost like a baptism, although it wasn't. I mean, you almost didn't make it. But the way I was, the way I heard you uh, was, wow, that sounds like God baptized her, even though it was a little more severe than that. But it, it, to me, it just fits into the whole pattern of where you're going, you know, and where you were going at that time. And it's, it's like, I see the, I see your life. You, this is your life and you're telling me, but I see the pieces coming together. Like, even if we go back and put a piece that was missing at one point, it makes sense is what I guess I'm trying to say. It makes sense of where you are now, you know? Um, so yeah, a very difficult thing. You, 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 you kept relationship with your mom through the years as much as you could. Um, so you're at uh, UC Santa Barbara. You were, you were trying to figure out your way to get through medical school, right? Yeah. And, um, and you, you had kept the relationship with your mom to the best of your ability up as much as you could, even at that point, correct? Yeah. Uh, so at one point, did she, did she, uh, did you know she had cancer? How old were you at that point? Were you finished with college or? Yes, yeah, she, um, she was diagnosed with cancer. I want to say she was diagnosed with cancer in 20, I want to say was it 20, 2013. Okay. Okay. She was, it was really quick. She, she was diagnosed and she died the same year. Everything happened really quickly. We weren't ready. She was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And she was diagnosed and died within three months. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, it was a whirlwind. And she, I moved her in with me. I took her to all of her appointments. She had surgery. She had radiation therapy. I took her to Hawaii with her sisters. We, I mean, I tried to love her as much as possible. I did as much as I could. I took off work to be with her and to take care of her. It was, it was a hard time. It was, it was very hard. And I even sang to her as she transitioned. We were all around her bed. She had a very peaceful transition. But it was good. We, Our relationship was in a good place. We had come full circle. We were at peace. We were in harmony. It was a good thing. And so we had forgiven one another. And I say one another because she probably resented me a little bit for my success. And I think I probably had resented her a little bit for not being there. And I think we had both come full circle for each other. And so I think that as far as 
learning to forgive and learning to move on. It was something that it took time, but I was there for her, you know, as far as providing for her. Once I became a doctor, I did things for her. I bought her a car. I paid off her car note. I paid her car insurance. I did things for her just because she was my mother and she would ask for them. But I just did those kind of out of obligation. Mm -hmm. I understand. understand. Towards the end, I did things out of love. Wow. Beautiful. It was was a progressive thing. And I think God needed to put me in that situation to do it. Yeah. And that's a beautiful gift. What a beautiful gift that your heart turned to love at the end when it was, well, when not try to find the right word, but when when it was the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I didn't love her. I mean, I loved her, but the- I, I, I understand that completely. I understand. I understand what you mean by you did it for obligation, then you were doing it out of love. That's two different things. And uh, the obligation of her being your mom and then the obligation of, because you love her and you want to make her happy, comfortable, mm-hmm. and treat your mom beautifully from your heart. Totally get it. Totally, totally get it. Amazing, amazing. So we go, let's jump back to med- to college now. So you're on your way to being a surgeon and, um, and you graduate college and you went on to medical school. Where'd you go to medical school? I went to school at Meharry in Tennessee mm-hmm. and I loved it. I absolutely, absolutely loved it. And it was hard because I didn't have money. And that first year, I was a tutor for gross anatomy because I did well when I finished my first year of medical school. So I worked as a tutor for gross anatomy. And I also worked as a waitress at the Waffle House. <laughs> Good old Waffle House. Yes. Yeah. Well I love it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, do you want your hash brown scattered, covered, or smothered? <laughs> and so I worked as a waitress at the Waffle House, and that was also fun because I developed my love for country music. <laughs> and like, you can't work there and not love country music. It just grows. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Was that your first time out of California at that time? Um, Living out of California? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you're in medical school. Now, how many years did it take you to complete your... Uh, your studies, and then you had internship after that as well. I would imagine, right? You had a you yeah. So f- four years of med school, or how many, how long were you in school for? Four years, four years of medical school, and then I joined the Navy in Nashville because oh. after my first year of medical school, I received a letter saying how much I was going to owe, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, I will <laughs> never ever be able to pay this off." <laughs> and I was like, I need a scholarship. <laughs> and I started looking around at different scholarships uh, that were available. And there was National Health Service Corps. And then there were the military scholarships. And I was wondering about what I would like to do. And I really preferred to do the military scholarships over the other ones because I had family who had served in the military. And I was thinking, well, if I wanted to do something, I'd rather serve my country because the country had done so much for me. And I figured this was my chance to do something and serve my country. And I like the Navy the best. And so I joined the United States Navy. It's a decision I do not regret, and I would do it again and again. Hmm. That's one regret I have in my life. I wish I served. But where I was growing up, it wasn't 
it wasn't in the cards, but that's one thing looking back, one of the few regrets I have in my life that I didn't serve. So I commend you on that and I thank you for your service. Where, where were you stationed? Um, I was stationed at uh, Naval Medical Center, San Diego. That's where I did my internship in obstetrics and gynecology. And after I completed my internship, I served as a general medical officer with the United States CDs, which is the construction battalion. And I was stationed at Naval Ambulatory Care Clinic in Port Wanimi. Wow. It's funny because, you know, I joined the Navy to see the world and I thought I was going to go to Okinawa, Japan or Guam. Nope. I got sent to Ventura, right below Santa Barbara. <laughs> that's, that's funny. So how many years were you in the service? How many years did you serve? Seven. Seven years. Wow. Unreal. Unreal. And that helped you pay off your medical school uh, tuitions and bills? Um, yeah. uh, so you were when you came out of the Navy, you basically had all your medical bills taken care of and done and paid off and finished? And Yes. Just had my undergraduate loans. Amazing, amazing. All right, so amazing. So far, I, I'm so interested in this. This is incredible. So you 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 uh, you get out of the Navy. You complete your, your years of service, and uh, what what's your next step at that point? Where where did you decide to practice medicine? I decided to complete my residency at Vanderbilt University Medical Center wow. in Nashville, Tennessee. So I decided to become a ping pong. So I bounced back to Nashville. Nice. And and how long was your residency there? I completed that in three years. Beautiful. Now I'm not really familiar with with how that works. So if you're if you do your residency, that means in layman's terms, paying your dues. Yes. Uh, okay. Surgical training, and so it's just spending hours upon hours studying under different world-renowned surgeons, making sure you have the surgical skills or laboring skills to do all the necessary needs that a patient wants you to have in that specialty. And were you ever, so your first time that you, I guess you worked in the theater, they call it a theater, correct? When the surgeon is performing surgery, you. The residents is a lot looking down or maybe in the theater itself watching the surgery take place. Did you perform surgery as a resident? Were you able to or was just learning from the best and then taking notes and moving forward? Well, that's more so on Grey's Anatomy in the theater. Oh, okay. No theater. Okay. Okay. See, I'm a lame. So continue. No, okay. you, tell me, you tell me what it is. In the, in the operating room. But yes, we perform surgery in the operating room. And so usually uh, there are medical students observing or other residents observing. But yes, we perform and I perform surgery in the operating rooms. The first time you did it, were you nervous, confident? Did you feel you had this or did you feel like, oh, my God, this is the moment, one of my moments of truth in my career? I, I remember my very first C-section after being out. My attending surgeon, he made the joke, I hope this doesn't take all day. And I'm thinking, me too. <laughs> so, That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was, I was both nervous and confident because I knew I could do it. But I'm just thinking, okay, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. And so... But you train hard, you focus hard, 
and you work hard. Mm-hmm. And the most important thing is that you study and you prepare and that's all you can do. Take a but, deep breath and move on. You're, you're very, uh, you, you make it sound simple, but the preparation is not only the educational preparation, but it's emotional. It's, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of different preparations that are involved when you're putting something into someone's body and, and repairing them and doing the thing. It's many levels of preparation, in my opinion. And I guess, I guess performing the art of surgery, I guess you, 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 the first time I would imagine is, is a little scary, but as you do more and more, you, you're more confident in what you're doing. So there's many levels of preparation as far as I, I, from my point of view, and it looks like you mastered them all. I mean, you're incredible. So we, residency is over, right? You complete your residency and, uh, and you're moving now. Now you're, now you're a surgeon. What, what was your, what was your specialty? What was you, what, what is, what, 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 where did you want to go? What, what division of medicine did you want to uh, perform? As a journalist in obstetrics and gynecology, I loved delivering babies. That was my absolute favorite part of my job. To be the first hands to touch life, it's like going from God to these babies and delivering them and passing them to their parents. It is the most beautiful, miraculous thing in the world. I think it's just the best job ever. And I just absolutely loved it. And so my next favorite part of my job was performing surgery because to help someone and to take their body and to go inside their body and to fix their problem and to have them come back out and feel better and knowing that you fixed them and you healed them it's made their life better and they're no longer in pain. It's just an absolute blessing. And so I loved both aspects of my job. Mm. That's uh, that's very well said. When you, when you delivered your first baby, how did that feel? Like the first time that you saw that life come out and it was in your hands, as you say, from from God to your hands to the parents, how did that feel? What kind of emotions did you feel at that point, at that moment, if you could remember? Uh, my first delivery was when I was a medical student. Okay. And it was exhilarating, and it let me know that I have chosen the correct profession. Wow. Isn't <laughs> that beautiful? Wow. Yes, it let me know that this is exactly what I wanted to do. And that's why I knew that I did not want to be a general surgeon. Because general surgeons, they only do surgery. They don't mm-hmm. deliver babies. Mm-hmm. As an obstetrician gynecologist, I can deliver babies and do surgery. Mm-hmm. Best Amazing. of both worlds. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So we, we are continuing on this fascinating life. And I mean, fascinating life. I mean, it's an honor to hear every step of your journey. It really, really is. So we're, we're finished. We, we complete our residency. And we begin our career as a surgeon, uh, as, 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 a, as a gynecologist, as you know, performing what you love to do. And give us the next steps of what happened. I want you to put it in your own words uh, because you can explain it best. Well, I practiced in Hendersonville, Tennessee, 
Mm-hmm. I had a fabulous nurse and a fabulous staff, and I loved my time there. And my children, they would get confused about which grandmother they were speaking to. And I knew it was time to come back home to California. So moved to California. And when we moved to California, I thought everything was great. I became a partner physician. I got a swimming pool with water slide. And I thought my life was on point. I thought I had made it. It was great. I was a partner and I had a water slide. My kids were happy. Everything was perfect. And then I fell. You fell. I fell. How did you fall? Tell me. You didn't, we didn't talk about that, but how did you fall? Um, I, you. I was exiting a trailer behind the hospital, and my ankle rolled, and it slipped between the stairs and the gap mm-hmm. of the trailer. And I kind of did a swan dive forward onto the concrete. And so when you fight with the concrete, the concrete wins. <laughs> yes, it does. So I injured both wrists, both ankles, and both knees. So when I, after I left urgent care, I ended up going back to work with braces on both wrists, both knees, and both ankles. And for about two years, I was in and out of physical therapy, and I was receiving steroid shots in both wrists, both knees, and both ankles in an effort to avoid surgery until I could no longer tolerate that. It got to the point where I just had to have surgery. Mm -hmm. And I tried to overlap my surgeries to minimize my time away from work. Mm And I can't say that that was the best decision (laughs) in hindsight, Mm -hmm. but I was so focused on trying to get back to my patients because usually when you have, say, a knee surgery, you're out for six months Mm -hmm. or any joint surgery. You're out for like six months to a year. But as a physician, I was like, okay, I can't do that to my patients. Mm -hmm. And I think... I can do it if you recover well. I'm willing to do it in, in three months. So I said, okay, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Like, sure. Said, yes, I can do it. So I had one knee surgery. Three months later, I had another knee surgery. And 10 days after my second knee surgery, I developed a complication. Mm-hmm. I couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in the emergency room. I couldn't maintain my oxygen saturation and talk. And I ended up hospitalized for four days and three nights, and I ended up oxygen dependent. And they eventually diagnosed me with postoperative pericarditis, which is an inflammation of the sac around the heart. And they called a respiratory code on me the second day I was in the hospital, and they were intubating me. And so I ended up having to be on steroids for a little bit, chronic aspirin therapy and colchicine and different different regimens. I had to use a bedside commode, a, a bedside hospital, I had to have a home health nurse. It was bad. It was really, really bad. 
They thought my family and I thought I was about to die. When I was in the hospital, I began to negotiate with God. And I was like, Lord, I know I said I was going to write my autobiography. But if you get me out of this, I promise I will write it this time. So I was negotiating with God. I said, I'll write my autobiography. Just just deliver me and I promise I'm going to actually do it. I'm going to write my autobiography. So Hmm. when I came out of the hospital, I just knew I was going to write my autobiography. Mm -hmm. I actually started writing my autobiography. Mm-hmm. And then they said I couldn't go back to work. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. When you told me that, that hit me hard when we had our pre-interview a week or so back, because um, your wrist froze. Is that is that correct? You had a frozen. Yes. Wrist? Okay. Yes. And so I had my I had my wrist surgery, and I had to be in half a long period of time because all of the medication from my pericarditis delayed my bone healing. Mm-hmm. And when I finally came out of all my immobilization devices, my wrist was frozen. My joint was frozen. And to even to this day, I still do not have full mobilization of my right wrist. I It still does not have full, full mobilization. It, it can't move completely. And as a right-handed surgeon, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I had to become ambidextrous. But no one is going to go to an OBGYN if I were to drop their specimen. And I say, hey, you want to hop back on the table so I can repeat your pap smear? And so that, as a patient, as a woman, I wouldn't want that. And I try to be reasonable. If I wouldn't want that for myself, that wouldn't be acceptable to expect somebody else to want that. Yeah. And so. Now I'm like, okay, all right, Lord, we had an agreement. (laughs) This is not what I expected. So I was essentially in this mental problem, in this professional catastrophic issue. And I'm like, okay, this is not what we agreed on. You have brought me way too far. You brought me to my dream profession. You can't take it away from me now. This isn't what we talked about. I'm like, I overcame a whole lot. This this isn't how it's supposed to be. <laughs> we have to renegotiate this. Hmm. I'm not down for this. We, we need a do-over. I had my come to Jesus moment and I'm like, okay, Jesus, you need to come again because this is not what we talked about. Yes, I understand. I understand. And your state of mind at that, at that point was, I mean, I can hear it, but were you, were you ready to give up at that point or were you ready oh, to stay? I was absolutely ready to give up. I was not ready to fight at all. I, I was defeated. I was completely defeated. I ate my feelings. I gained like about 50 pounds. I was completely depressed. And God did not let me stay there. (laughs) He said, no, Tiffany, no, snap out of it. He let me have my pity party for a few months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, snap out of it. He said, think about all the stuff that I've done for you. I've delivered you from so much. This is nothing. You are not your profession. Get it together. Think about everything I've done for you and write about it. Praise me. I was like, what? Praise me. Write about it. 
So in my phone, in the memo section of my phone, I started writing about how good God had been to me. And I would just start praising God. And I started writing these poems and these songs and started thinking about different things. And COVID happened and the Black Lives Matter movement happened. And so I started writing a few political things, a few COVID poems. Mm -hmm. I would share them with family and friends. They said, this is good. You should, you should publish this. I was like, I'm a doctor. No. And I just kept going on. And they said, no, this, this could help other people. I said, I'm no poet. No. And a few other people said, no, seriously, Tiffany, you should share this. I was still defiant. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not. I'm not a poet. And eventually, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. And I submitted it to a publisher and uh, two publishers, and both were interested in me publishing. And I was like, hmm, I guess I am a poet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, when you were writing these, it was effortless, right? It came from somewhere that you you probably knew you had, but it probably just came from somewhere that it just took care of itself, right? I mean, that's how, what I'm hearing. Yes. Uh, which is an amazing feeling, isn't it? I, 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 I've been experiencing that myself lately in doing these podcasts. And recently we had a, uh, um, a, a gentleman who rescues children from Afghanistan, actually he teaches them how to play guitar. And I had him on a month ago or so. And, um, they sent me a video from Afghanistan, Tiffany, Dr. Moore, excuse me. And, mm -hmm. and the, the children in the middle of a war are thanking me for my support, right? How, how bizarre is this, you know? And, and the uncontrollable emotion came from, I never knew existed in me. And, and it, it, was un, it was an unbelievable feeling. So I, I can relate to, to what I asked you. I can relate to it. Different feelings, of course, because of different people. But that uncontrollable emotion that comes out of you that, you feel like you know you're doing the right thing. You know you're back on your path, right? Which, mm -hmm. which, is, which is the most exciting thing. So, okay, so the publishers, two publishers are interested in your work. And um, what made you decide to go with the one you went with? Uh, any particular reason or? or... Yeah, yeah, we want to, we, well, actually, what is the name of the book? Let's do that first. And, and and uh, and where where we can find it, and I like to just see what what made you decide to go with the publisher of choice. Well, I went with Christian Faith Publishing, and the title of the book is called Flowetry, a collection of one hundred and eight poetic flows on life, love, and liturgical issues. Mm -hmm. And I went with Christian Faith Publishing because I would watch CNN, and they would have the uh, advertisements, <laughs> and they they spoke to me. <laughs> And it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid and I would see those commercials that would speak to me. And it was just reminiscent of my childhood. And it took me there. Amazing. Amazing. We just put a picture of the book on the screen and we'll have it on our website as well, along with uh, where you can get the book and all the information about it. Um, so now you're an accomplished author. You're, you, you had your work published. And where did that take you? Um, 
Yes. And so I was like, wow, I guess I am a poet. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? I say th same thing about myself as a podcast host. Who knew? You know, a year ago, you would tell me this. I would say, you're crazy. But here I am. But continue. That's amazing. Amazing story. Did you go on tour with your book? Did you go on book signings? Did you uh, take it on the road? or? I have been interviewing for the past couple of months. I have been on Good Day LA. I've actually been interviewed for People Magazine. And if wow. someone had told me I would have been in People Magazine as a child, I never would have believed that. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, just amazing. And so as I am blossoming and forging my way, I am just thankful to whatever God has for me in the future. I am continuing to write. I have written a children's book on abuse. Hopefully that will come out later this year. And I am trying to continue to help make life better through my writing and through my poetry. And my goal is to just try to help people. And I don't want my life to be in vain. So my goal is to encourage, enlighten, and hopefully help someone else on my journey. Mm -hmm. That is that is the definition of why we're doing this. That's my that's why I do this. This our fighting spirit for that exact reason. You, I couldn't have explained it better. When, every morning when I wake up, I I try to I say to myself, who am I going to help today? And and that attitude, that shift in mind for me has brought me so much success, which once I have that success, I share it with others as well, um, because you have to give back. And it, it, your, your life is incredible to me, because you, I have this thing I say that pain leads to pleasure, right? Very simple. But when you live that way through life, it's not easy, right? But your life is fascinating to me, where you, you, had these these peaks and these valleys and and when I, and I'm, I'm I'm it's it's bigger than that but it's the only analogy I can think of right now I mean it's not it's that it's not that simple but you you always end up on the peak and the peak is what's closest to heaven you know when you get to the peak of a mountain you're closer to heaven when you get to that peak as opposed to being in the valley and it's it's like when you when you look back at your life now and you can see what happened in your life and you put all these pieces together. Do you do you feel like your life was planned by God, and you every every step of the way had a had a reason and was destined to get you to the next step and get you where you are today? They say hindsight is twenty twenty, mm -hmm. and I actually do because I know that without those valleys. Mm -hmm. I couldn't be where I am today. Mm -hmm. Now, would I wish all the bad things that I had to endure on anybody? Oh, Lord Jesus, no, I would not. But mm -hmm. am I thankful that God brought me through them all? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I know that if I can overcome all the bad things that I have had to endure, I know that no matter what other people are going through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that God can deliver them too. So, Dr. Moore, you sent us some beautiful pictures uh, uh, about your life, and one of them struck me. One of them, you had a picture taken with President Biden. How did that happen? Yes, I had the opportunity to meet President Biden 
at a fundraiser in January of 2020 when he was vice president and he was running for president. Mm -hmm. And it was a pleasurable experience. He's a very nice man. And I just enjoyed that time. I enjoyed talking with him. He is a very funny gentleman. Oh, very nice. What a highlight. What a highlight in, in, in life to meet someone like that. That's beautiful. Yeah, and you know, I was coming out of my depression at that time. So it was great. My girlfriend, Jackie, pulled me out and she was like, you're coming with me. That's right. And and they, and, they, and you get a picture with President Biden. I mean, it's just it's just it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. Depressed or not, it doesn't surprise me because the path of the path that you're on. So, you know, your life is fascinating. Uh, it was such an honor to have you today. If you can, I like you to close with how you how you feel at this moment about everything that's happened to you and where you are now and what you feel about the future, because I think you can do it better than I. Um, so how do you feel today? How do you feel today? Tell me where you're where you're at today. Today I'm very optimistic. I believe that the future is bright. I know right now there is a lot going on in the world. I know that there's a war. I know that tensions are high. I know that people are stressed. I know that people want this pandemic to endemic <laughs> and that people are frustrated. But we need to take a deep breath in and exhale. And we need to continue to push forward. We need to persevere. And we need to take it one step at a time, one day at a time. And know that as long as we keep trying and we keep fighting, that things can only get better as long as we keep trying and we keep pushing forward. And remember, we need to push. And push is Pray until something happens. Push. Push. So no matter what, push. Pray until something happens. Mm -hmm. So each day, push. Keep moving forward. Keep going. When you fall down, get back up. Don't let anything stop you. And it's okay to not be successful the first time the second or the third time. Just keep trying, keep going, keep loving, keep moving. Our, our guest, Dr. Tiffany Moore, the book is called Flowetry. We'll have a link on our website on where to find it, where to buy it, buy it, support her, because she is powerful, she's kind, and she's inspirational. Thank you for joining us today in Our Fighting Spirit. Dr. Moore, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. Sophia Giganti is the definition of Our Fighting Spirit. And one of the reasons why I decided to do this in the first place. Her book is called Strength, Resilience, Growth, How I Defied Physical and Mental Limitations and Took Control of My Future. The website is sophiagiganti.com. I thank you for watching Off Fighting Spirit, and I wish you a beautiful evening. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast player and leave us a review.